Well, we're going to try and do something that might seem a little bit strange today. I know that right now, for many of you, church has been happening at different times. It's, for many of us, not happening on Sunday morning. It's Sunday afternoon or Saturday night or in the car or... Please don't watch in the car, but maybe listen in the car. <laughs> but time is a, a little different right now. Somebody on social media made the comment that there are no longer days of the week. It's just blurs day every day because every day is a blur. And I'm going to lean into that a little bit this week because I'm going to play with time just a little bit. Next Sunday in the liturgical calendar, in the, in the tradition of the church, is when we observe Trinity Sunday. But for reasons that hopefully will become apparent next Sunday, I am not going to be preaching on the Trinity next Sunday. So I thought I would do that today. Um, Trinity Sunday is one of those ones some churches don't observe, or often churches do observe it and people don't realize they do because they just get a sermon on the Trinity on Trinity Sunday. Normally that would be next Sunday. We're going to move it to today. Um, and play with time, because right now that seems to be what people do. Let's turn first to Scripture. From the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 48, verses 16 and 17. Come near me and listen to this. In the first announcement, I have not spoken in secret. At the time it happens, I am there. And now the Sovereign Lord has sent me, endowed with his Spirit. This is what the Lord says your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God, who teaches what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. And then we turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, a long passage, verses 6 to 16. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me, who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe me, believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. I came across a great story in Reader's Digest, and this is one of those stories, much like preacher's stories, that you don't know how true they are, but it's serving my purposes today, so we're going to run with it. There was a family who lived in California and had some friends from India uh, in, in on business. And while the parents were on their business, they left their 11-year-old daughter with this family. And they went to church one Sunday. 
after the service, this family asked the girl what she thought of the church service, and she said, well, I don't understand why they don't include the West Coast. And she replied, the family replied, well, what on earth are you talking about with the West Coast? And she said, well, you know, in the name of the Father and the Son and the West Coast and the East Coast. <laughs> That's one of those jokes that if, if you were here in person and I told it a little bit better, you'd hear groans slowly scatter throughout the congregation and you, uh, there'd be a few people uh, who would suddenly start chuckling about a minute or two from now as it sinks in. You know, the concept of the Trinity is one of those things that we often talk about as an abstract and don't try to understand. Or, or we talk about it as if it's a given without, without really paying attention to what it is. The, uh, I, have, I have a buddy who's a, an Anglican priest. And there's a lot of reasons I'm not Anglican, but there are some things that I find appealing. And one of them is their liturgy. And in the Anglican Catechism, it says this. First, I learned to believe in God the Father, who has made me and all the world. Second, I believe in God the Son, who redeems me and all of humanity. And third, I believe in God the Holy Ghost, who sanctifies me and all elect people of God. I like that. I think that's really quite beautiful. The Trinity is a deep concept and a very difficult one to understand. In fact, we will come to see that we will never fully understand it. But it's crucial to our faith. You know, one of the really interesting things about the Trinity is that it's never actually explicitly mentioned in the Bible. That's not to say that the Trinity is not addressed in the Bible or that it's not talked about. It certainly is, but never in an explicit way. The, the term Trinity, the, the phrase three in one, the phrase Godhead is not mentioned. Godhead in some translations, but that's for another time. There is some, this, this, this concept of the Trinity is something that all different traditions within Christianity hold to be true, and yet it's never explicitly addressed. It is an implicit thing that followers of God have determined from reading Scripture. And there is a good lesson here for all of us, and it's this. If taken out of context, we can make any passage, in, we can make the Bible say just about anything we want by, by cherry-picking a passage. In fact, Christians have been doing exactly that, exploiting individual verses out of context for 2,000 years. And we will continue to. Uh, I will be guilty of that from this pulpit. We've already talked about how God uses our imperfect offerings, though. So I, I lean on that. But that doesn't exonerate us from making sure that we try and make sure we take everything in context. And the subject of the Trinity is a good one for us to, to be reminded of that because it's never actually mentioned in Scripture. And yet, the entirety of Scripture makes it clear. If you're going to understand any one part of the Bible, you have to understand the entirety of the Bible. Let me say that again. If you're going to understand any one part of the Bible, you have to understand the entirety of the Bible. And that is especially true when we're talking about the Trinity. To understand the Trinity, or at least understand as much as we can, we have to take the entirety of Scripture into account. 
Let me be very clear. In no way am I saying that the Trinity is not found or is not mentioned in Scripture. It, I would actually argue that the Trinity is found and mentioned throughout the entirety of Scripture. We just have to be looking for it. It's, it's spoken of in different language than we're used to, partially because a lot of the Bible was written before the Trinity was acknowledged. The Trinity is found in the Old Testament, and then in the New Testament, Jesus himself pays tribute to the Father and the Spirit many times in the Gospels. But what we know about the Trinity has come together by piecing it together from across the Bible. It's one of those things that we have gotten an understanding and a sense of. If you read just one part of the Bible, you'll get a mistaken understanding of the, of the nature of God. But if we understand the whole story of God, the overarching themes of Scripture, then there's no denying the truth that the Trinity is real. So as I said, nowhere, long, nowhere does the Bible just come right out and mention that God exists in three persons in one. It never says, you know, here's God the Father, and here's God the Son, and here's the Holy Spirit, and they're one, but not really, and they're separate, but not really, and kind of together, but not really. God is mentioned many times. God the Father is mentioned many times. God the Son is certainly mentioned many times. And God the Holy Spirit is mentioned, many, is mentioned often, though that's the one that we often have misidentified. And so, of course, we as a church in our doctrine, as Muslim Baptist Church, state that the Trinity is very real. And I think all of us would probably agree about that. Scripture tells us that God exists in three persons who are in communion with one another and in relation with one another, and yet somehow they're the same. All fully God. We sing the great old hymns that talk about the Trinity. We sing great contemporary songs that talk about the Trinity as a whole or, or parts of the Trinity. But the truth is, none of us fully understand it. And you know, I think that's actually a good thing. One of the dangers whenever we bring up the Trinity, specifically whenever someone preaches on the Trinity or, or teaches on the Trinity, is that we try and explain it away. The temptation is to try and explain away one of the greatest and most beautiful mysteries of our faith. The mystery of the Trinity is something that doesn't need explanation. We can come up with as many analogies or explanations as we want, and sometimes those can be useful in our understanding, but they will always ultimately fail. Because we cannot fathom how something can be one and three at the same time. I, I, one of the many reasons I became a pastor is because I was terrible at math in school. But even I know that three cannot be equal to one. I'm sure there's some mathematician out there right now who's going to prove me wrong, but if you do, good, because God would agree. Three, in this case, does equal one, and that's somehow beyond our comprehension. It's not to be understood by us. The great theologian Augustine was, there's a story about him that I'm fairly sure is apocryphal, fairly sure is apocryphal but for our purposes today it works. <clears throat> the story goes that he was puzzling over the doctrine of the Trinity. He was walking along a beach one day when he saw a young boy running with a bucket. He was running back and forth from the water and pouring it in a hole. And Augustine asked him, what on earth are you doing? 
The boy replied, well, I'm trying to put the ocean in this hole. And that's when Augustine supposedly realized that he'd been trying to put an infinite God in his finite mind. I could quote famous theologians going back from the entirety of the 2,000-year history of our faith as they try and explain what the Trinity is, and we could be here for hours and we'd be more confused than when we started. Trust me, I went to seminary and I've tried this exercise. It's, it's not doable, friends. But maybe that's simply because we're not supposed to. And that's okay. Let's just allow the mystery that is the Trinity to exist. We, we, we try and logic away too much sometimes. I'm certainly guilty of that. We understand parts of it. And the parts that we can reach and the parts that we are capable of of grasping. Let's just hold on to those in our finite minds, and the rest let's just surrender to God and say, I don't understand it, but I know these things to be true, and take with it and do what you will. So today, let's just move past that. Let's acknowledge the things that we're never going to understand about the Trinity, and let's move past it. Because once we get past this penchant for trying to explain the Trinity, we can allow the mystery that is the Trinity to become integral in our faith, integral in our identity. Let's remember that this sermon series is titled Called to Be. It is about who we are as people of God. And so that's why today we're talking about called to be worshipers of the triune God. Because we don't worship just God the Son. And we don't worship just God the Father. And we don't just worship God the Holy Spirit. We worship all three at the same time and separately and somehow by the power of one and through the sacrifice of the other and because of the love of the other and somehow all of those things exist at the same time. One of the links that you're going to get in the email that you probably clicked on to view this sermon, you'll, you, you, by now you'll have seen that there's three links there. There's our usual worship set, there's this sermon, and there's a third one that I've asked you to wait until the end for. And that's because it's, it's my attempt at some humor this week. It's a, a very, I think, a very funny, uh, certainly a very irreverent cartoon uh, trying to explain the different analogies that are often used to explain the Trinity and picking them apart and explaining why they, where they break down. It's very irreverent. Uh, I, I don't think it uh, goes into the, the, the level of being offensive or anything. Uh, but take it for what it is. It's meant to be humorous while also uh, teaching you a little bit of the history of the theology behind the Trinity. So it's a quick three-minute video. And uh, for, for, for any of the kids and teenagers out there, it includes a reference to a, uh, a kid's cartoon. And if you spot it, you win a prize. That prize is simply acknowledgement that you know now. Um, but yeah, take a minute and view this cartoon because it'll go through the different analogies and explain to you why they don't work. There are so many things we're never going to comprehend about the Trinity, but there are some things we grasp. So let's start there. And the first thing is quite simply what the name already implies and what we've already talked about. There are three in one. And as I've stated, the tr word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible. And as a result, the people who wrote the Old Testament didn't acknowledge a Trinity. And so 
often we make this mistake, whether consciously or unconsciously, and whether we do it in theory or in practice, many times in the Christian church today, we operate, even if we know it's not true, we operate as if God the Father always existed. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is incarnate on earth, he's born, and all of a sudden this new guy, Jesus, shows up, and he's God, but not really, but also the Son, but not really, but kind of one, and that's fine. Now there's two expressions of God. And then after Jesus goes back up to be with his Father at Pentecost, all of a sudden there's this new expression of God, and it's God the Holy Spirit. So now we've got three expressions of God, and that happened, you know, in short order, but all of a sudden it was here, now we've got God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. But that's actually not true, and we have to be careful because we have to remember the Godhead, the three-in-one, the Trinity, has existed since before time began in community with one another. The three-in-one, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, were there at creation, and they will be there when all things are reconciled to the Father. The very first part of our Bible, Genesis chapter 1, if read with the knowledge that the Trinity exists, already confirms this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. We're already told about the Spirit of God in the second verse of the Bible. And John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus was there in the beginning. There you go. All three, there in the beginning. And this tradition continues throughout the Old Testament, throughout the entire Old Testament and New Testament. In, in John chapter 8, Jesus himself says, Believe me, I am who I am long before Abraham was anything. Jesus explicitly reminds us that he was there before the formation of the world. And the Holy Spirit was there as well, even if unrecognized. I think we do that often today, too. In fact, many modern scholars even believe that the, the famous pillar of cloud and, fire, uh, uh, cloud and fire that went before the Israelites in the book of Exodus was, in fact, the Holy Spirit. Listen to the language that's used in Exodus 13. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. The Lord went before them. Sounds an awful lot like the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? Scholars are, are, are debating this thing, but the, the, whether that actually was the Holy Spirit or not. But the fact is, God in his three persons was there. Back then, certainly, and, and even today, we often forget about the Holy Spirit. But last week we talked about prophecy and foretelling and forthtelling. I can tell you that no prophet is ever animated or, or moved to prophesy without the urging of the Holy Spirit. And so with the incredible examples of prophets in the Old Testament, we have to, un we have to be convinced that the Holy Spirit was there prompting them. He was there convincing and encouraging and loving people into repentance. And then, of course, there are a few places where God actually shows up in all of his forms. The most obvious one being the baptism of Jesus in Matthew 3. Listen to the, 
to what it says here, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus is incarnate on earth being baptized. The Holy Spirit is descending like a dove. And God the Father is speaking from heaven. Again, how does this make sense when they are all one? We, we can't comprehend that. But God was clearly manifest in all of his three versions in that time and in that place. We see this again at the cross and the crucifixion in Luke 23. All three exist in harmony with one another, but are spoken of in Scripture as having distinct qualities and purposes in our faith. And so we're going to go very quickly now through a rundown of the three parts of the Trinity and how Scripture defines them and describes them. Here's just a quick sampling. The Father is revealed as representing the majesty, exercising the sovereignty, and maintaining the rights and privileges of the Godhead. The Bible tells us that he loved us, that he blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ, that he chose us before the foundations of the world, that he predestined us, according, uh, predestined us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will, that he has made us an acceptable in the beloved, that he gave us his only begotten son, that he sent his son to be our savior, that he made him to be sin for us, that he sent him forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, that he spared not his own son, but delivered him up to death for us, that he commanded his love towards us, that he raised him up from the dead, and that he crowned him with honor and glory and set him over the works of his hands. All those things are used specifically when talking about God the Father. And then we get to God the Son. The Son is revealed as submitting to the Father. He is sent. He is given. He comes to do the Father's will, Scripture tells us. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. He bore our sins in his own body. He gave himself, himself up as an offering and a sacrifice to God. He was raised because of our justification that and that he is seated at the right hand of God, that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So says Scripture. And then we get to the Holy Spirit, the, the, the shy member of the Trinity. I often wonder if the Holy Spirit is in fact actually shy or if we're just reticent to acknowledge him. But here is what Scripture specifically says about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost is revealed as proceeding from the Father and sent by the Son. He testifies of Christ. He glorifies Christ. He bears witness of Christ. He convinces the world of sin and, ju and judgment. He shines into hearts of men and gives them the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. He renews them in the spirit of their minds. He gives them life eternal. He dwells in us works in us, guides us into all truth. He helps our infirmities and bears witness with our spirit when, that we are the children of God, and he seals us until the day of redemption. Again, 
things said specifically in Scripture about the Holy Spirit. Somehow, God the Father exists and loves us perfectly and sent his Son who was given for us. The Holy Spirit is revealed as proceeding from the Father and sent by the Son. So you have the Father who sent the Son to die, and then you have the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and was sent by the Son. And yet somehow they are one. We don't understand how, but let's just allow that to be. And if there's one thing you take away, I've repeated it, but if there's one thing you take away from this, just allow the mystery of the Trinity to to seep deep into you. Don't try and explain all of its intricacies. The little we can understand about the Trinity has to stem from the entirety of the Bible. Understanding any concept or any part of the Bible requires knowledge of the entirety of the Bible. We know how the story starts, how it, uh, where the climax is, and how it ends. That's the beauty. You can't go back and talk about the beginning without understanding the, the middle of it. You can't talk about either of those without knowing how it's going to end, which is the Father reconciling all things to him through Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, we can't fit God into our little boxes. Come to think of it, we can't fit God into our big boxes either. We have to have all three for it to fully be God. We may not understand it, and not only does that not matter, but it's actually a good thing. We still have to believe it. And that's beautiful. Not understanding it is part of what makes it so great. And so, rather than trying to explain it away to you, let's just rest in the knowledge that God the Father loved you so much, he sent his Son for you. And his Son's sacrifice was so perfect and whole that you are one day going to be raised to live with them in heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit who convicts you of your sin and who Christ sent to be your comfort. Let us pray together. God who is for us, we call you Father. God who is alongside us, we call you Jesus. God who is within us, we call you Holy Spirit. You are the eternal mystery that enfolds, enables, and enlivens all things, even in us and in in me. Every name falls short of your goodness and greatness. We can only see who you are in what is and as you reveal it. We ask for such perfect seeing as you would allow, as it was in the beginning, as it is now, and as it ever shall be. Amen. Well, as you head into another uncertain week. May the blessings of the dynamically unchanging Trinity be your reality this week. May the Father's enduring love accompany you in your daily lives. May Jesus himself strengthen you to be co-builders of his kingdom. And may the Spirit indwell and inspire you on your journey. Go in peace. Amen.